0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you haven't already, be sure to download the free FBC Rungi Church app on iTunes or Google Play for sermons, announcements, and important updates regarding the church. Have you ever met someone who claimed to know Jesus but sure didn't act like it? This is the third part in a four-part series called Everyday Evangelism where I'm going to be talking about why it's so important that we have evidence of our salvation. This message is entitled, Your Before and After. You know, sometimes I want to be obedient to God, but I am just so scared to go and talk to people about Christ because I I just sometimes I just get bottled up because I don't know what I'm gonna say. I I think personally, and I know I'm not on the far end of the spectrum, but I consider myself an introvert. Um, I I a lot of times I will rehearse conversations I'm gonna have with people in the future. I mean, I know that's that's dumb, but because you never know what somebody's going to say, but I, sometimes I just I just don't know what to say, and I want to go talk to people about Christ, but I just I get bottled up. I don't don't know what to do, and I think the reason I I have such problems is because a lot of times I forget why I became a Christian in the first place. See, I I think that a lot of times we present Christianity as you know this thing that can enhance your life, like. You know, Just follow Jesus and, and you'll be happier than you've ever been. Or just follow Jesus and, man, um, he's really going to work some miracles in your life. But I'm willing to bet that if you're Christian, you came to Christ for the same reason that I did. It's because somebody told you that there was a heaven, that there was a hell, and that you are a sinner and that you deserve to go to hell. And it didn't take you very long to figure out that hell is not where you want to go. And so you and I, we needed Jesus. To save us. We weren't focused on you know how to go out and have these conversations with people. That wasn't something we looked forward to. We didn't think, man, I just can't wait to be a fisher of men. No, that's just one of those things that kind of got added on to our responsibilities when we became a Christ follower. He said, I told you to go and make disciples in all the world and teach them everything that I've commanded you. Well, I have a problem with Mark one seventeen, when it says that Jesus said to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And in the next verse it says, well, they got up immediately and they followed him. And I think the reason I have a problem with that is because it just seems so irresponsible. It seems unrealistic. Like, who does that? You know, like their parents had raised them their whole life, and you know now that they can actually contribute to the family business... This guy comes and takes them away. It seems like you know they're just they've turned their back on their family. But if you actually read in Luke, he Luke gives you a little bit more to the story. He shows that they're not being irresponsible; that it's not unrealistic. He gives you more to the story because they're out fishing all night. He says, and that they don't catch anything, and so Jesus comes up to them and he says, "Hey, let's go out again in the daytime." And you probably could imagine the look on their face, like. Dude, I'm I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter. You know, you're not going to tell me how to fish. And you don't go out during the daytime because that's when you get a sunburn. Like that's that's crazy. But for one some reason or another, they took out Jesus and they went fishing and just as expected, they weren't catching anything. And Jesus tells them, "Well, stop fishing your way. Come fish my way. Put your nets down on the other side of the boat." And when they did that, the Bible says that they they caught so many fish that their nets or tearing. That's a good day, fishing. And that's before a game warden, so you didn't have a limit on how many you could catch. (laughs) So, you know, they took all these fish back, and, and, you know, Jesus tells them, hey, did you have a good time? Yeah, good. Well, if you'll come follow me, I will teach you how to be a fisher of men. Now you kind of get a little bit more of the story here so you can kind of imagine that they weren't looking longingly over their shoulder at their parents who were crying, "Please don't go." That most likely their parents were saying, "Listen, guys, we have got these fish under control. We'll clean all these fish. You need to go with this man and you need to learn everything that he knows. You need to learn to be a good fisherman like him." And so naturally, you know, Jesus says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, of course, you got it. I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. You didn't even have to ask. I was coming with you because I need to learn from you. I'm going to be your disciple. I need you to teach me how to have a better family business. I need you to teach me how to fish like you fish. And so Jesus took them along with him. You know, each each and every one of these men came to Christ because they were selfish. They had selfish motives. For whatever reason it might have been, maybe it was finances, maybe it was a you know, better family business, maybe it was success, maybe, maybe it's because they're frustrated with their family or what they're dealing with. And so they came and they, they, went, they went and followed Jesus. He called them and they came. That's not much unlike the reason we come to Christ. But you know, Jesus did something pretty unique in them. He began to show them that there's a little bit more to life than fishing. You know, the the all-night or all-day fishing trips where you just catch so many fish that your nets break, that's cool. And there's lots of benefits to following Christ. But there's more to life than fishing. There's more to life than making money. There's more to life than you. And he begins to do something incredible in them. He shows them that, you know, wise followers, wise children of God, they begin to... Consider how long they have on this earth, and they begin to think, you know, there's there's got to be more to life. So maybe I need to make my life count. Then he began to show them how to. He began to show his disciples how to invest their lives in others, to think outside of their their little box, and to think think outside of themselves. They needed to make their life count, and 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 he began to show them the life that was so good that they wanted other people to experience it too. That it's, that it's even selfish to keep your mouth shut whenever you've, you've got something so good. So I guess the question is, you know, now that I'm a Christ follower, for whatever reason I came, how can I be a better Christ follower? How can I be better at sharing my faith with others? Because I know that God is good and I want other people to experience him too. Is there something that I can work on that would make me a better evangelist, a better at evangelism? Well, there is no cookie cutter approach. I'd love to tell you there was, you know, some magic incantation you could read over somebody and they go, "Oh, I want to be a Jesus follower too." But the truth is, is, you know, that's not the way it works. But there is something that will play a major role in every single conversation that you have about Christ, and that's your story. Everybody has a story. Doesn't matter where you're from, you have a story. In fact, that's probably part of your story, where you're from. You know, researchers at from Princeton University have discovered that stories are 22 times more impactful, memorable, and and uh, effective than facts alone. So you know, you can go out and you can you know share share the Bible, and that's great, and you know what? That maybe that will make a difference. But if you were to just share your story, how God has worked in your life, that's 22 times more effective and memorable. Everyone's story is powerful, regardless of the events, because it's not really their story. Sometimes, and I say this because you know, sometimes we think, "Well, I don't have a very good testimony," not like other people. I love what uh, Tim Hawkins says about this. He laughs. He said, "You ever, you ever hear somebody's testimony? And you think, man, they got an awesome testimony. Oh, not like mine. I sure wish I was addicted to crack." <laughs> you don't have to go live your life in sin to be effective. Sharing your story and to have a good story because it's not your story, it's about God and what God has done in your life. And yeah, God works bigger in some other people's lives than ours, but you know, God is at work in your life, and that's interesting, that's amazing, that's what people need to hear. How has God worked in your life? What is the Bible? Think about that. The Bible is just men and women sharing their experiences. About God, like how God had worked in them and around them, through them. I think you and I, we really need to work on our story. So what specifically should we work on? Well, that's why I want to look at Acts chapter 26. The Apostle Paul, he presented his testimony um, to King Agrippa. And before I read this, I, I just... I just kind of want to point out some things about you know Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had you know this is getting closer to the end of his life, end of his ministry. Um, he he was put in prison not because he had a problem with the Romans or the, the governing authorities, but just because there were a bunch of riots and fights breaking out, and Apostle Paul seemed to be at the middle of all of them. And so they took him in and said, you know what's what's the deal? And before uh, the Apostle Paul went before Herod Agrippa. He appealed to Caesar, which kind of is kind of like a, a, appearing, a, appealing, excuse me, appealing to the higher court. Um, it's like appealing to the Supreme Court. If we, you know, you, you can have your court, heard, your case heard, but it's ultimately the Supreme Court that's going to make the ultimate decision. So he's paraded out before King Herod Agrippa, and and he's told to plead his defense for the case the Jews have filed against him. And in Acts chapter uh, twenty-six, verse nine, he says, "You know, I I too was convinced that I should do everything I I could to oppose Jesus of Nazareth." And, and he begins to explain that, that he is he's trying to put people in prison and death, people that followed Christ. And he said he was on the authority of the chief priests. And and so um, he said on many many occasions he uh, he would hunt them down, put them in prison, and when they were put to death, he would he would vote against them. He said that uh, many times that he went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and and, and tried to get them to try to trick them into blaspheming. And he said that in his obsession. He even went to foreign cities to persecute him. So, well, that was basically saying, you know, he, he went looking for trouble. He wasn't just trying to, to uh, you know, to, to, to eliminate the threat around him. He was trying to eradicate Christianity, to completely stomp it out. So he, he says, you know what? These people are against me because I'm preaching about Christ, and I used to be like them. However,. He says, on, on one of the journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the chief priests. In verse 13, he says, about noon, O king, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Then and he says, then I asked him, well, who are you, Lord? And, and, and the voice replied to me, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to point you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me, and I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So so far we've seen a before and we've seen how he came to Christ. And, and then we're about to read about the after. And then, so he says in verse 19, So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He says, um, First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So he goes out and he's preaching to people. And he said that the Jews seized him in the temple courts and they tried to kill him. And, and, um, and he said he God has been helping him every single day and so he stood there before King Agrippa to testify what Christ has done and, and he recognized that that was an opportunity that God gave him to try to win King Herod Agrippa to the faith and so that's what he says that he's, he's doing and so he says um you know like King Festus or Festus uh, King Agrippa's friend says uh you know you're out of your mind his great learning has made him insane he, he's trying to give him some um some explanation as to why Paul had had this transformation in his life. And he says, you know, I'm not insane. Uh, What I'm saying is true and reasonable. And then he even tells him, he's like, you know that it's possible for people to be raised from the dead. Don't you believe that? You believe that about the Old Testament, right? You're a Jew, right? Well, he says, um, you know, Agrippa says to him in verse twenty-eight. He says, "Do you think that in such a short time that you can persuade me to be a Christian?" And I love Paul's response in verse twenty-nine. He says, "Short time or long, I pray that God not only uh, that, to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today might become like I am, except for these chains." And the king rose and the governor of Bernice and, and those that are sitting with him, and they said, "You know what? This guy doesn't didn't do anything that deserves imprisonment." And King Agrippa said, "You know, he said, well, if this man had not appealed to Caesar, he could have been let let go." Now, there's a lot of things in this passage of scripture. I know that it was kind of long, but but this story is so good because it has a lot of things, a lot of elements that we need to pay attention to. Um, probably one of the most powerful things in this entire story is the Apostle Paul's before. After, before, or during, and after, before he knew Christ, what he was like, how he came to experience Christ, and what he was like after as a result. So, um, you know, he says that he was a violent opposition, violent opposition to followers of the way, that he was like a Pharisee, you know, just hunting down Christians. And he was so obsessed with it that he was going and looking for people to exterminate them all. But then he says on the road to Damascus that he encountered Jesus, which you know didn't make any sense to him because Jesus had already been crucified. Notice, however, that Paul doesn't share the whole story with King Agrippa. If you actually go back an earlier part in Acts, you see that a lot more happened. Apostle Paul doesn't talk about, you know, how he was blind for three days with scales over his eyes. He didn't talk about how he was under conviction for those three days, and he didn't eat or drink anything. He didn't talk about um, Ananias, the man that came and and saw him and helped him out. He didn't talk about how he used to be known as Saul, and now he's known as Paul. And I think the reason why this is important, that he didn't share all of this, is because when you share your testimonies with others, you don't need to include everything that ever happened to you from birth. Keep it short and sweet. The idea is to make an impact on people, not bore them to death. (laughs) Notice also that Paul's motivations, it wasn't, it wasn't unselfish. The reason why he originally came to Christ is because he was scared to death. I guess a blinding light brighter than a blazing sun and a mysterious voice can have that effect on a person. It was in his growing relationship with Christ that his heart was broken for the sinful condition of his fellow man, the Jews and the Gentiles. It was when he fell in love with God that he was unable to keep his mouth shut about him. Saul became Paul, a new creation, because he was selfish. But God didn't leave him there. After he encounters Christ, I want to point this out because this is so important. There was evidence of his salvation. He says he became not only a follower of the way, but he began promoting it and preaching it everywhere he went. He says in verse 20 that he took it first to the Jews, who we know rejected the message at first, and then he took it to the Gentiles. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. You know, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of James. and Although I have to say that Romans is growing on me. I really like Romans. And the reason why I love James is because it talks about practical ways to follow Christ. He says in James 2.17, faith without works is dead. Now, i probably told you a lot about me, and you're probably getting to know a lot about me, and I'm not getting to know much about you, but... Um, I, I kind of grew up in a, in a grace background. Uh, I grew up in church um, and I was taught grace, 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 grace. And I was taught that once a person was saved that you know they're saved forever, and they not never have to worry about another thing that they're going to heaven when they die. Once saved always saved. Well, I fell into the category of people that, that took that message to the extreme because I, I just didn't understand what it really meant. You know, I, I thought that now that I'm saved, I get to do whatever I want. I don't have to I don't show any evidence of salvation in my life. But you know what? That's not the way it works. I, it was even presented to me that that's exactly what the Apostle Paul taught, that you don't have to have any evidence of salvation in your life. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works that any man may boast. It's the gift of God. But see, we didn't spend a lot of time on the next verse that says, you know, For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Some people even try to pit James and Paul against one another, saying you know, they have contradictory messages. Well, I like James. Well, I like Paul. Well, you know, James, James seemed to preach that you, know, you get saved by, by works. Well, Paul preached grace, 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 and so I like Paul better. But you know, Paul never preached that once you became a Christian, that you can live however you want, any more than James preached that you're saved by, by works. In fact, the Apostle Paul preached in, in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, he says, that a person must prove their repentance by their deeds. Translation, there must be evidence of salvation in a person's life. Why is it so important, though? Why is it so important that we have evidence of our salvation? Why is it so important that I show people I'm saved and not just say it? Because the before and after in a person's life is the most powerful part of a person's testimony. Why do you believe that a man came to earth, was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and was resurrected three days later? Well, I tell you why I can believe in Jesus. I'll tell you why why I believe in him. I believe because there's other people who have before and after transformations that I just can't explain otherwise. The man who was born blind and was miraculously healed had a before and after transformation. He said, I once was blind, but now I see. I believe because something happened to him. Zacchaeus had a before and after. He he used to steal money from people as a tax collector, but when he encountered Jesus Christ, he paid back everybody four times what he stole. Something happened to him. Levi, or Matthew, uh, he was a tax collector, and, and, and he, he became a, a Jesus follower, and he ended up writing the book of Matthew, but more than that, he, he took the gospel message to Ethiopia, and he was later stabbed to death for spreading that gospel. He died because something happened to him. Andrew was a fisherman who was focused on how to make a living before he came to Christ. And when he was later killed for his faith, he was scourged just like Jesus was, and instead of being nailed to the cross, he was hung on it with rope so that he would suffer longer. Historians historians, tell us that, that he preached to people from the cross for two days, trying to make converts before he died. He did all this because something happened to him. Before the crucifixion, Peter denied Christ three times just to save his own skin, yet At the end of his life, after the resurrection, Peter, although he could have escaped, he was instead crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. All he had to do to go free was just deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yet he embraced the the cross because something happened to him. Paul used to hunt down Christians and see them executed. However, Later, not only would he join the followers of Jesus Christ and promote his gospel, but he would embrace execution rather than deny that Jesus was, you know, Jesus was alive. Paul became a convert and later a martyr because something happened to him. And I believe because of their before and after transformations, because I don't see any other explanation of what happened to them other than Jesus was raised from the dead. There has to be evidence in salvation of salvation in a person's life because if there isn't it just says that nothing really happened. I want you to consider this: what would happen without without the uh, the this apostles without their before and after transformation? would you believe in Christ? What if Saul, after finding Christ, never became Paul and he kept hunting down Christians? <laughs> What if Peter had never you know, followed Christ to the point of death and he just went back to being a fisherman? What if none of the apostles told the world about Christ and were willing to be executed rather than to deny that Jesus had risen from the dead? There was evidence of salvation in their life, and without it, none of us would be saved. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 26, verses 28 and 29. Agrippa was almost persuaded because of Paul's before and after transformation. He's like, I can't deny this guy has something happened to him. But see, he just couldn't explain what. So they were coming up, well, he's just out of his mind because of all the learning he's done. And I think this is a clear indicator that we can't save people. If Paul could have saved them, he would have. But the Holy Spirit wasn't enabling them to receive Christ at that moment. However, when the Holy Spirit works, he uses our before and after transformation to work on people's hearts, to receive the message. Something else is that God doesn't save you for you. Sure, he doesn't want you to go to hell. Sure, he wants you to enjoy life with him, but he saves you to save the world. He wants to use your story. The Apostle Paul, he doesn't go free at the end of Acts 26. Why because God wasn't done with him yet. He wanted Paul to sail for Rome so that his before and after transformation will make a difference in the lives of others. So let's talk about this for just a second. Why is it important, important to have a before and after transformation, evidence of salvation in your life? Because without it, your testimony has no power. You know... um. My wife and I had a good discussion about our before and after transformations. Now, I believe that I told you that I once was a drug addict and that something happened to me. Now, I'm not only a follower of Jesus, I'm a pastor of a church. But you know, my wife Erin was a little bothered because she didn't feel like she had a before and after transformation. And the reason why is because she was raised in a Christian home and she came to Christ when she was eight. I mean, not not many eight-year-olds get into crack, you know. It's not like she's lived a life in sin, and so she feels like her testimony isn't a very good one. And, you know, she's going to have to give you her testimony sometime. because She can, you know, it means a lot more coming from her than from me. But I can tell you that even though she was saved at eight, she wasn't baptized until she was 20. She didn't want to completely surrender over to Christ despite what she knew was true for 12 years. God had to reveal to her that there was a, big difference between being a believer in Jesus and actually following Him, surrendering your life over to Him now can you see how a testimony like that one would be effective for a lot of people every testimony is important but without that before and after without God working a miracle in your life, without some kind of change in your life where is its power? it doesn't have any Without a before and after transformation, it just says nothing happened at all. So, is there evidence of salvation in your life? And if so, what is it? If not, why not? Each of us need to understand that every single genuine follower of Jesus Christ has a before and after transformation. You once were living your life for selfish motives, but now God has transformed you to care about others, to share the gospel. You know, we can't we can't contradict our testimony by the way that we live our life. Because if we do, it just shows us nothing really happened. I know a lot of people that live their lives this way, but the truth is they ruin their testimony because of how they're living their life. If you don't have a before and after transformation, I'm not asking you to create one. We don't change because we want to really badly. We change because something incredible happens to us. We change because when we truly encounter Christ, we surrender our lives over to Him. But think about it. Who really wants to lose their life? We cling to life. Why would we, why would we want to surrender our lives over to Jesus? Because Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. They will save it. If we recognize that something happened to Paul, And that there isn't any better explanation than Jesus actually rose from the dead. That he actually talked to Christ on the roads of Damascus. Then we ought to take Jesus seriously. Because anybody that can raise himself from the dead should be taken seriously. And I want to give you some homework. I know, know, nobody likes homework. But what I want you to do is I want you to write down your before and after transformation in a couple of paragraphs or less. And I want you to email it to me. My email is Waller, W-A-L-L-E-R, underscore, John, J-O-N, at Hotmail.com. And I want you to send me your before and after transformation. I, I, I'd i like to read more about you. And it's not so that you know I give you a grade and and you know there's going to be a midterm next week. It's not like that. No, this is for you. I, I can't think of anything worse than having to read a hundred <laughs> uh, before and after transformation. That's not there's there's a lot worse. But what I'm saying is, in comparison of having to write one versus having to read a bunch of them, you're getting the better deal here. I'm getting the short end of the stick. But I want you to take advantage of this opportunity. I'll be happy to read them. I want to learn about you, and maybe I can give you some pointers if if necessary. Maybe you got everything nailed down. Maybe you have got it firm. But I just I, I I want us to take this opportunity to. Think about why we came to Christ and if there's evidence of salvation in our life. So, so this week, write it down. Send it to me. And if you you know computers absolutely scare you to death, well, just write it down on a piece of paper and come hand it to me. I'd like to read it. And and just to show you that I wouldn't ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself, I'll show you with you just really quickly my testimony. Um I'm a PK, which is the preacher's kid, and I grew up in church learning about God. I made um, several promises to him whenever I was younger. I told him I would never drink, I would never smoke, I'd never do drugs, and to him and my future spouse that I would never have premarital sex. But when I turned 15, I wanted to be cool, and I forgot about all the promises that I made him. And I broke everything on that list and more. I became a drug addict, and uh, one night, When I was high, I went to sleep and God woke me up and and he reminded me about that promise that I had made him. The promises that I made. And I realized that I had broken them all and I cried out, well, who's going to want me now? Because not only, God, did I promise these things to you, I promised them to my future spouse. Who's going to want me now? But God said to me, I want you. And so that night I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And God found me a wife, and I have two beautiful kids with another one on the way. And I serve him as a pastor of a church. At this moment, I've been off of drugs for 12 years. Now, I know it doesn't matter what people think of me, just as long as I have God's approval. God has transformed me into a new creation. Are you a new creation? And if so, how? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that the Lord blessed you through this message and that he spoke to you and that you have a clear direction for your life. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. And if you have any questions or comments about today's message, please feel free to email us at FBCrungi at gmail.com. Till then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.